listening to the best bits of the Breakfasters from 3RRR. You're listening to the Breakfasters podcast with Sarah, Jeff and Geraldine from Monday 18th of April to Friday the 22nd of April. Highlights this week included uh, we had Kate and Kate from The Catering Show coming to have a chat about their new The Catering Show Series 2. And also I had a bit of a chat about my trip to Wonderland. You did, your failed trip to Wonderland. Mm. And you also had a bit of a chat about the wedding at the International Comedy Festival. Yes, the wedding between Zoe Coombsma and Rhys Nicholson. And we talked to Ruth Barson from, uh, she's a human rights lawyer, about the Royal Commission into Aboriginal Deaths in Custody and its anniversary. On the weekend, uh, on Friday night, I don't know if you heard about, I went to a gay wedding. Went to a wedding. Oh, yes. I went to the wedding at the the comedy festival. It was the wedding of the year. That was the one that Zoe Coombsma was talking about when we were yes. interviewing. Yes. So Zoe Coombsma and Rose Nicholson got married. Um, it was one of the most uh, amazing nights that the festival has had. It was just one of those really wonderful. Things and it was an honour to be a part of it. I know that's such a cliche kind of word to say, but it really was. It was such an emotional, special night. Not just because you know it was a wedding, but because of what it stood for and whatnot. So, so for those that don't know, what was it all about? They weren't they weren't marrying each other because they were in love. No, 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 no. They're both gay. Yeah. <laughs> so it all started when um, Zoe and Rose were backstage at over in Edinburgh. Like kind of he's, you know, all dressed up in his nice suit that he always wears um, and Zoe was kind of dressed up as Dave and she was just <laughs> like, this is a, we'd make a really horrible wedding topper. Um, and then it was like this thing, we, we, we could get married, Let, you know, legally we could get married, like, we, you know. So they approached the festival about it and they went, that's a great idea, let's have a night. So they organised the wedding and... Um, <coughs> <laughs> Sorry, it was um, it's one of those things where lots of different people involved in lots of different ways um, and none of us kind of knew about it at all. It all kind of just came together on the night. Like obviously a lot of work was put into it um, but it started like we all met over at the town hall um, kind of backstage and got everything organised over there. So... I a lot of us just had like really small roles, but it was really nice being backstage and seeing all these people going, "Oh, you're what are you doing?" and "Oh, what are you doing?" So was it like a performance? I mean, was it up on stage with an audience, or <coughs> was yeah, it yeah. like just more like a ordinary it was, church? It, it, it was imagine going. Yeah, it was like a wedding. So they had an aisle. Um, yeah, it was one of those. It, it was an event where a, you had to pay to get in. Like a lot of. Uh, there was people, other performers, comics and stuff that didn't know much about it and normally they can get into Festival Club f- by showing their pass but this was the one night where they went, no, nah, this is going to sell out, you can't use your pass. If you want to come, you have to pay, um, which is good because it was raising money for minus 18. So, uh, you know, when people started complaining about, oh, we have to pay, this is... I'm like, nah, pull your head in. Oh, it was a charity event too and it was yeah. all a fairly yeah. symbolic event as well. Yeah, yeah. So, and it was just they... Um, <clears throat> so it started, you know, once everyone was in, they had um, Reese's on stage and then they had also their respective partners. So... Reese and has a, a partner, and so does Zoe. So they had to stand on stage the whole time and watch <laughs> and the, watch the wedding they can't have <laughs> yeah, in Australia. Yeah. That's so depressing and amazing at the same time. <laughs> yeah, and then they had um, 
So it started, both their parents were there. Oh, wow. Um, and wow. Zoe's dad walked her down the aisle. It was really oh. beautiful. So um, were people cracking jokes or was it just like sort of done straight? It it was very humorous in the way it was done. And Hannah Gadsby was the host uh, and she set the tone of what this was. So she made a speech at the start, which... I think we should put up. She's shared it on. It, she's put it up on her Facebook page, and it's been shared like over five hundred times or something. And it's you know got quite a good uh, feedback because it was one of those. She said, you know, if you think they're actually getting married, then you're missing the point. And just it was a really great speech mm. in terms of what it was all about. Um, <coughs> I had Brendan McLean opened the show. Did a big song and dance number. They had uh, bridesmaids were uh, Denise Scott, Judith Lucy and Celia Bacola. Um, but they were just, you know, on stage. But then they did a beautiful ribbon dance um, <laughs> at the end. Yeah. They had uh, they had performances from Tina Del Twist, like Arnie Tina uh, and also from Hot Brown Honey, who just did this amazing... Um, Oh, I can't remember what song they did, but it just ended up with everyone fist pumping the air going, fight the power, fight the power. And it was just a really kind of, I cried so many times. <laughs> <laughs> it is a wedding, so. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was a beautiful wedding. Um, and you played um, some role in this. Yes, I, I. they had a performance by Peter and Bambi Heaven, um, which is Asher Trelevin and Gypsy Wood, um, who did a, a really great show. Um, but <laughs> just Gypsy... Um, Oh, sorry, Bambi, like he sings a song and she goes, she's wearing like a white leotard outfit and she dances around. But then um, unfortunately she gets her... She, she gets her period while she's dancing and it's... Oh, my God, is that actually something that happens? Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> so then I came... I was um, dressed as a priest and I came out with an incense burner just to cleanse the stage of <laughs> <laughs> what had happened. But it was so wow. many, you know, little bits and pieces. But it was one of those nights where if you were there, you got to witness a really an amazing thing. You know, um, and it did raise. It certainly raised awareness, and it certainly raised. Uh, hopefully, raised a lot of money for for minus eighteen. But who's, was, who's minus eighteen? Oh, sorry, uh, minus eighteen. There, people uh, involved a lot in the um, just for younger people for you know the LGBTIQ community, just okay. you know assisting them. What? So they organised the um, minus eighteen. Organised that. Uh, formal for same-sex oh, okay. queer, yep. queer people. Was yeah. it filmed or anything? Can people there, access it in any way? Yeah, yeah. If you go to the, the Comedy Festival website, they've got a couple of little clips up oh, there cool. and I reckon we'd, yeah, we we'll put it up there. Yeah, we'll yeah, yeah, yeah. There's some great photos as well, but it was it was just, it was so great. It was Aww. so, so great. You're listening to a podcast from Community Radio 3 RRR in Melbourne, Australia. Kate McCartney and Kate McLennan are the stars of The Catering Show, the second series of which has just been released via the ABC's Ivy. Welcome both of you to Triple R. Hello. Thank you. Hello. 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 Thank you. <laughs> Not to forget our uh, co-star in the show, Geraldine Hickey, featuring in episode three. Yes. Thank you. There's been much discussion about episode <laughs> I, three. I let everyone know about it. 
I'm happy to let people know about that. Have you watched Chapter 3 yet? Have you watched Chapter 3 yet? Watch Chapter 3. It's really good. I mean, that's the only one you've watched. But, um, yeah. yeah. Eight times. <laughs> and just the first three minutes. Yeah. Yeah. And so like, oh, it's no point don't now. even know what the show's about. No. Cheese, mate. Cheese, I'm all over. The first series on YouTube and now it's on iView. Was, how did that happen? Was it, did it make much of a difference to you guys making it with the ABC? Um, there was a bit more money with the ABC. So they kind of – basically what happened is when the first series went nuts, they, you know, said we would like to make, you know, something. What do you want to do? And we're like, well, we don't really want to make half hours because we were too tired. Um, <laughs> so we said we could make some 10-minute some eps. So they kicked in a bit of the cash and they get like a three-month exclusive and then, yeah, and then it'll – Go back onto iTunes. Um, iTunes. 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 What, what's that? iTunes. I had no idea what I was saying. <laughs> YouTube after that. So, yeah, it was. It was like there weren't that many differences, were there? Really, in making the first series to the second series? No, not really. I mean, the catering just wasn't from um, like Aldi. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, was there any budget, the first one? Cause yeah, we got some money guys? from Screen Australia. Oh, so there was yeah. a little bit of money. We didn't get paid, no. um, but there was, you know, money to pay everyone else. So. Are your YouTube viewers pissed off that it's on iView? Because you guys have a bit of a following overseas. Yeah, the overseas people are very confused. Okay. And very confused. I think this is the first time they've ever not been able to access something before. Yeah. Part of me feels like... Suck it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we haven't found like a really, you know, interesting way of telling them, okay, so what's going to happen is you, you're you going to get it in three months' time unless, of course, we manage to find a buyer for your country, in which case we're going to make you pay 50 cents an episode, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so it's just very... um. It's very boring. So we're just not t- saying anything. And I think they're getting angrier they're getting, and angrier getting, by yeah, the day. Yeah. We did have a guy. <laughs> they're turning on us. A guy in the UK was furious at us. And he, he's like, you know, on Friday, after receiving all these lovely messages, he was the one negative message of the day. And he said that he was quite happy to pay for a second series. He even bought an apron. And oh, I was like, so okay, you might have had to have bought, bought like another 6,000 aprons. <laughs> That's probably a bit of admin involved in us sending you the aprons. So I guess you YouTube know. commenters aren't really known for their, um, late, yeah, <laughs> their laid-back comments, are they? But it's nice, though. They do feel like they're... Um, shareholders of the project which is which is quite cute yeah i just don't think they know how much a a show costs no well because it's you know it's against you know it sits on youtube next to you know videos of cats yeah chasing chickens and stuff so how would they know how much yeah or us pumping our milk in a editing suite you know there's yeah exactly (laughs) yeah it's it's our own fault um speaking of milk pumping there is episode two Mm. is yummy is it yummy mummies is that what it's called Mm-hmm. Yeah, something like that. Mm-hmm. And um, it was really difficult for me to watch. <laughs> Thank you. Awesome. So, yes. Uh, am I allowed to talk about what you cook in that or is that giving it away I to people who haven't oh, seen it? Sure. Or is it's it pretty like, much out there okay, now. Okay, so, so the episode focuses on you about cooking your placenta. Is that what it's, no, is that what it's called? Is it a placenta? Yeah, it is yeah, a placenta. Yeah, yes, and I was like, yeah. I haven't even get that right. I was fascinated by what you used that prop what what that placenta what was it, that it was That's her placenta. placenta no it was not it, it was. was yeah it's no it's my placenta. i don't i can't i can't no i can't <laughs> that was that was really so what where did you where did that even come from that idea inside just, her body no <laughs> yeah she grew it oh. over the course of I, I, nine months <laughs> 
and then she kept it over the course of another six. Stop it. I had to I actually had to stop. Like I had to keep I had to keep walking away and then coming back. It was so upsetting. Well that's the point of comedy. Yeah. Think. See, <laughs> but it was your plan? Did you plan yeah, to Yeah, so we we wrote it before um yeah, we wrote the episode before I had the baby mm-hmm. and then I said, oh, it would be funny if I made it from my placenta. And McCartney was always like, yeah, sure, sure. Okay, yeah, sure, you, sure you're going to keep your placenta. I thought and, she'd um, be too tired. She'd be nice admin. But yeah. it was very easy. Just my midwife said, do you want to keep your placenta? I said, yes, I'm going to use it in the catering show. And then they bought it in like, like a little, <laughs> little, no, like a bucket, you of know, course. like when you buy, you know, like feta Frost cheese. Oh, like, you, know, you know, one of those white buckets? Yeah. yeah oh, so like a catering size tub of olives. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. yeah. And it was, um, it was, you know, like um, vac packed. And then um, that's it. Did she keep it in the fridge or? We froze it after that and then we You had it in your it. freezer at yeah, home? Yeah, for I, a few months. I, 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 spent, I spent so long trying to work out what it was. I was like, there's no way that's your real percent. I thought it was like, oh, it's a cow, something it's an or other. It's amazing because I didn't wow. know what it looked like because I just said, yes, I'm taking it and then, you know, took the bucket and then I made my part and put it in the freezer because <laughs> I was just too busy, you know, dealing with a kid. And then during the shoot, Joe, who um, is head of our um, art department, our art director, she just put it on the plate for me. She plated it up for me. <laughs> and I was like, wow, that's not... I, I don't know what I thought it would look like, but it's to me it's amazing. And the whole way through the shoot that day, like, everyone was horrified. But I was just like... I'm so proud of my yeah. Like I was really, and anyone, you know, was, you know, turning their nose up. I'm like, how dare you? How dare you? That and is that, my placenta. That continued on into the edit as well. Like it was very hard to edit that episode because every time you suggested an edit around the placenta, you just got shot this look from the clinic. <laughs> like, Don't you cut my placenta. <laughs> no way, no. We had done um, a few weeks ago, we had former breakfaster Josh Earl on the show. Yeah. And I was reminded he did uh, a comedy show a few years ago based on the Australian Women's Weekly Children's Birthday Cake mm. book, I don't remember. Mm. And yes, I was, we remember. When I was thinking, um, <laughs> watching your episode, I was kind of wondering, I'm interested in your opinion, whether the recipes of the past were more or less demented than the kind of food fads that are around today. Yeah, well, you, what do, you were telling me about something your mum... Your mum used to make those recipes from the Women's Weekly Cookbook, didn't she? Yeah, like, she made. She made. Yeah, there was a point where she really cared about us. <laughs> 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 One to five. Um, yeah, I got like a, I got like a, an easel, and I think my sister got the piano, which is oh. That's a labour of love, that one. Yeah. But there is this weird, you know, like things with toothpicks stuck into just, you know, like suddenly you've got, you know, like a a watermelon with cabana (laughs) being teamed with it. So, you know, there was something going on in the 70s. Slices of pineapple. Yeah, I do think, um, like, you know, you've got sort of fad gadgets now, but I think at some point, I think we have to remember that at some point the microwave was a novel thing and everyone just microwaved everything. Like they were Mm. trying to, they just thought that they'd microwave lobster because they could. Well, that's what we thought with the Thermomix episode yeah. last year. That was kind of the the microwave of 2000 and whatever year it was. 15? I have no idea. No, it was 2014. <laughs> 14. Yeah. So I remember my mum microwaving a chicken, like a roast oh. chicken, and thinking it would turn out like a roast chicken. Oh, yeah. And housewives were deceived. When you did season one, though, like, did you expect that it would go as well as it did? 
No, we no. thought we'd get like maybe 10,000 views because we came in here the, the morning yeah. that it launched. I remember that interview. I was listening to that and I was yeah. like, this sounds awesome. Yeah, well, we, we came in and we were like, oh, well, we'll basically we were just coming in and having a chat, chat to Declan about it and then we thought, um, you know, 10,000 views and then he checked it like when we were on air or just after and it was like, like I think it was maybe 60,000 or something yeah. at that point. And um, we had no idea how that had happened. I think maybe we paid for some of it. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's what might have happened. Yeah. But then, yeah, and then there was this, this massive jump. And is, is anything happening overseas? Are there buyers potentially overseas? There's, um, there's, yeah, this thing called an SVOD. I don't know. I think it's called <laughs> Subscription <laughs> Video On Demand. So there's like a service in America that we're talking to at the moment who want to buy this second series so mm-hmm. yeah they'll get like a little window of time to have it but yeah there's other stuff that like we're supposed to be flying over there in june aren't we mccartney yes <laughs> yes <laughs> meetings with people i don't know what that we means. don't know <laughs> we don't know how it's gonna happen we've got two small children we've got no idea how we're gonna get on a plane and make this happen but yeah there's people who are interested in hearing what our ideas are Oh, that's I don't even know yeah. what it's like. Sleeping, I just yeah. sleep. <laughs> if someone said to you, "Can you make it like a thirty-minute show?" Would you do that? Like, if some American with lots of money was like, "Can you do this?" People did ask us to do that. Oh, really? They wanted, they wanted us to do a like a Kath and Kim style. <laughs> like, this sounds so terrible. I can't believe we didn't go with it. <laughs> a Kath and Kim style, like, uh, yes, yeah, sitcom just between the us, the hanging ca- out with the Kates <laughs> in no. a house because apparently we live together. Which isn't uh. too far from the truth, I suppose. Um, but, yeah, I think if we did extend it, like, properly into a half-hour format, we maybe would kind of expand the world a little bit so it wasn't just about cooking because, look, we haven't been out of the house in about a year so we have no <laughs> idea what food trends there are out there or anything. I Googled. In order to write this series, I Googled t- food trends 2015. Really? Because I didn't know anything. I was yeah, like, crow nuts, okay. <laughs> As a consequence, that sort of the series kind of just started to become more about our mental state and yeah. the you could mechanics tell of our relationship <laughs> with <laughs> food. Yeah, Write what you know. <laughs> well, because I was going to ask you, you might not be able to answer this, but whether you have a favourite amongst all of those increasingly <laughs> extreme and deranged celebrity chefs that are out there, if you, if you had to get one of them onto the show, is there anyone in particular you'd get? Oh, well, see, Maggie Beer was always the one that we would like because she, she, I don't know, she just seemed to have no ego involved. We have yeah. people, like, pitch themselves to us, like, hey, if you want to take the piss out of me, and that's what they were genuinely saying in emails. But like, a, a lot of the time... Take your stick at me. <laughs> a lot of the time <laughs> they were... sell my cookbook. Yeah, a lot of the time they were people who were sort of part of the, the sort of, those sort of weight loss shows or... You know, and we were like, we don't know what we'd do except bring you one and go, we find you morally corrupt. <laughs> <laughs> and then just quietly escort them out. Product placement. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, the show is The Catering Show. You can find the whole second series. It's on ABC's Ivy. We've been talking to Kate McCartney and Kate McLean. Thanks so much for coming in. Thanks. Thanks for having us. You're listening to a podcast from Community Radio 3 R in Melbourne, Australia. More than 25 years ago, the Royal Commission into Aboriginal Deaths in Custody handed down a landmark 
report. But how much has changed since then? To talk about that, we're joined by Ruth Barson. She's a senior lawyer at the Human Rights Law Centre. Welcome to Triple R. Thanks. Thanks for having me. What did that um, famous report um, uh, explain 25 years ago? Uh, The key recommendation of the Royal Commission into Aboriginal deaths in custody was that we must, as a nation, address the injustice of Aboriginal peoples over imprisonment. The Royal Commission provided us with over 300 recommendations, uh, or in other words, a blueprint for addressing this injustice, uh, and that blueprint is as relevant today as it was then. And so what has happened since then? How does the situation for Aboriginal people in custody compare today to... Um, when that report was um, was handed down? Uh, tragically, the situation's much worse. Nationally, Aboriginal people uh, are now locked up at double the rates than they were at the time of the Royal Commission. Uh, in jurisdictions like Western Australia, which is the worst performing jurisdiction, Aboriginal people are 17 times more wow. likely to be locked up than non-Aboriginal people. How, how does that happen? Yeah, I was about to ask that question. I'm like, how do you, yeah, where do you begin? Uh, Well, uh, the reasons for that are complex, uh, but the primary reason is that there's been a lack of political will to implement the recommendations, the blueprint uh, for addressing this injustice. Uh, And we've seen recently in Western Australia a young woman, Miss Do, uh, die after she was locked up for three days for not being able to pay her fines. Mm. That is heartbreaking. Well, okay, so what were the main recommendations that were handed down then and how many of those recommendations were implemented? I mean, we're talking about a situation where they were partially implemented, then rescinded, or they were just never put in place at all? Uh, well, it's a, it's a complex question which recommendations have been implemented and in which jurisdictions, certainly some jurisdictions have gone much further than others. Uh, but if we take the case of Miss Do, it was a key recommendation of the Royal Commission that uh, we stop locking people up for minor offences and we specifically stop locking people up who are unable to pay their fines. Miss Do was a 22-year-old Yamaji woman. She incurred uh, some low-level fines when she was 17 or largely 17 years old and she received those fines in the children's court. Some five years later, uh, she had been unable to pay her fines. She was taken into police custody for three days. Uh, she com- she cried out in pain uh, for all of that time. She was taken to the hospital on two occasions, discharged on two occasions, and she died on the third occasion. Uh, I've seen the footage and can unequivocally say that Miss Do died a cruel, inhuman and degrading death. So did the hospital... Did they do their job? Like, did they... Was she checked out by doctors and when she arrived? So why was she returning again each time that she visited the hospital? Uh, Ultimately, the question of where the failures lie is one for the coroner. The coroner's now heard all of the evidence and we're hoping that she'll hand down her recommendations uh, in the second part of this year or, or really as soon as possible. Um, but, uh, yes, unequivocally, this uh, very tragic death in custody highlights failures uh, of both mm-hmm. police, of both the broader justice system and of the hospital. But if we take a step back, uh, Miss Do should have never been locked up in the first place. Western Australia desperately needs a fair and flexible fine system 
like that exists in New South Wales uh, and like that's about to exist in Victoria, whereby it's able to differentiate between those who will not and those like Miss Do who cannot pay their fines. Uh, at the moment, it has an entirely unjust and inflexible fine system that's seeing more and more Aboriginal people, and in particular Aboriginal women, being locked up. Mm. The case, the specific case that, that prompted the, origi- the original Royal Commission was the case of John Pat. Can you tell us about John Pat's death and how that compares to the deaths that we're seeing today? Uh, I, I can't speak specifically to... Um, how um, Mr Pat died in custody and the circumstances surrounding that. But I, what I can say is that the Royal Commission at the time did investigate uh, a number of cases involving Aboriginal women and indeed a number of cases involving Aboriginal women who died in custody as a result of being locked up for unpaid fines. So it's really chilling that over 25 years later, we're now seeing and continue to see similar deaths in custody than the ones we saw at the time then. So it really speaks um, to the reality that governments across Australia, including the federal government, need to adopt solutions. Uh, And I can't stress enough that there are both short-term and long-term solutions that governments can put in place immediately to address these injustices. Those blueprints that you talked about from the original commission, are they still valid now? Uh, Absolutely. They're as relevant today as they were then. So, for example, steps that governments can be taking right now to address this injustice are not locking people up for minor offences, not locking people up uh, for unpaid fines, uh, and really looking at laws that are on the books at the moment that directly and disproportionately impact Aboriginal people. How difficult is it to come up with a national solution? Like you talk about Western Australia having kind of the worst rates for this, um, New South Wales having different laws. Has there been an attempt to kind of make this a federal thing or a national thing rather than each state having its own its own laws and approaching it in different ways? Uh, uh, yes, there's the Change the Record Coalition that the Human Rights Law Centre is proudly a member of. It's a coalition of Aboriginal and human rights organisations who have come together to really urge governments across Australia and specifically the federal government um, to change the record on this this egregious injustice. Um, One of the key ways that the federal government can show leadership on this issue is by adopting justice targets. Justice targets are measurable goals to reduce Aboriginal people's over-imprisonment. So, for example, the federal government could commit to closing the gap in Aboriginal people's imprisonment rates uh, within the next decade or within the next two decades. Um, The key... um, the, the really important part of justice targets is that they make sure this issue stays on the political agenda even when there are successive governments elected and that governments are no longer able to turn a blind eye to what is really uh, a human rights crisis in Australia. But in terms of the politics of this, I mean, it's easy to sort of frame it in terms of neglect, but when you look at some of the state laws in the Northern Territory, paperless arrest laws which allow police to detain people for minor offences without charge, mandatory detention laws in WA, Queensland explicitly removing the principle that detention should be the option of last resort for children, 
these governments know that these laws are going to affect Indigenous people disproportionately. I mean, you can't pass laws like that without knowing. It seems to me not so much this is a question of neglect, but these are laws deliberately targeting Indigenous people, surely. Uh, I, I think you're absolutely right, and particularly with the examples that you give uh, these laws, uh, mandatory sentencing laws, paperless arrest laws, uh, l- locking up 17... Oh, sentencing 17-year-olds as adults as they do in Queensland... All of these laws are um, not evidence-based. They don't uh, serve to keep the community safe in the long run and absolutely they disproportionately impact Aboriginal people. So it's really a question of governments choosing politics over evidence when it comes to what works to reduce crime, reduce imprisonment rates and keep the community safe. Justice targets would be a way for holding governments to account for when they implement policies that go against those targets. Is this something that we can do? So just like our listeners can do to kind of, I don't know, <coughs> encourage this or is, there, is it contacting local members of parliament or is there something more that they can do to help kind of help the cause, I suppose? Um, well, I think there are two things. I think being aware that this is a, a human rights crisis that is... Uh, impacting on all of Australians, but obviously is disproportionately impacting on Aboriginal people. Uh, that's the first thing, but absolutely, um, we just had an election announced yesterday. <laughs> so um, call your members and ensure that this is an issue that uh, is on their radar and an issue that they're taking a principled position on. In the US, we've seen the Black Lives Matter campaign put criminal law and race very much on the agenda. I mean, is is it possible we're going to see something like that here in Australia where, what, Indigenous children in WA 53 times more likely to be jailed than non-Indigenous people? Are we likely to see or do we need to see a similar campaign here? Uh, well, I think we certainly need to see a change in the landscape. We need to see change in the landscape at both the state and territory level and at the federal level. Um, And you're right, there are absolutely harrowing statistics like in Western Australia. Um, Women are the fastest growing prisoner demographic in Western Australia, uh, Aboriginal women, sorry, in Western Australia, and also across across the the nation. uh, And young Aboriginal people compromise close to 50% of the um, youth detention population. So we've actually, we've absolutely got a national crisis on our hands and it's now time for governments to no longer sweep this issue under the rug and to actually take concrete steps to implement the recommendations of the Royal Commission into Aboriginal deaths in custody. We've been talking to Ruth Barson. She's a human uh, senior lawyer at the Human Rights Law Centre. Thank you very much for coming in. Thanks for having me. Three. Triple. Guys, I'm uh, a big fan of theme parks and I think as an adult, some people look at that and go, why, that's for for kids. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, However, I think part of it may stem from when I was a a kid, like I must have been maybe 12 or something like that, maybe 12 or 13, and we went on a family holiday to Sydney and I don't know if you remember, there was a theme park in Sydney called Wonderland. Yes. Oh. Do you remember Sydney's Wonderland? Wonderland. Yeah. Boy, do I. The answer to Melbourne's Wobby's World. Yes. No, well, maybe not. Well, I think <laughs> it might have been the other way around. <laughs> <laughs> so Wonderland, um, 
I and I had been once before. I think when I was a girl guide and we went on oh an excursion God. to Wonderland. So I had experienced it. So I knew how good it was. I knew there was big roller coasters and stuff, and I went. This is so great. And then so we were on a family holiday and there was family, like our family and also had cousins down from Queensland. Um, and so one day they were like, oh, let's drive out. We'll go to Wonderland. And I'm like, yes, yes, because I'm with my brother. And my cousin and I was the only one that had been there. So we all got in a Tarago and we <laughs> it's like an hour out of Sydney. <laughs> Right, so we're driving there and I'm just going, this is going to be the best. This is going to be the best. Oh, look at And then we get there in the car park, finding a car park. And we're like, come on, everybody, look. Oh, what are we going to go on first? Oh, I'm going to do this. No, you've got to go on that first. No, you do that. Oh, this is going to be the best. And then we get up to the um, to get the tickets and Dad, I was with Dad going, oh, this is the best. And then... Um, they they said, how many people have you got? And he's like, oh, you know, 10 kids and, like, five adults. It wasn't that many, but it was, like, you know. A Tarago is full. A Tarago yeah. is full, right. Um, and they go, all these people, and they go, uh, oh, yeah, it'll be this amount of money. And Dad was like, oh, but I have these. And he handed over, like, a voucher. But Dad thought they were free tickets. Oh, oh no. And they went, oh, well, we'll take that 20% off. And they went, so it's this much. And he goes, no, no, I've got... And he goes, yeah, no, it's just it's just that much off. It says it there. And he goes, oh, oh, I've misread that. And then he turns around and goes, oh. Oh, everyone back in the Tarago. Oh, oh no. No, <laughs> <laughs> no wonderland for you. The worst, oh my the worst day of my life. What did you do? Oh, my God. <laughs> do you know, it gets even worse. You know what we did? We drove back to where we were staying and then watched the Test Match Cricket. Oh, my God. It's like, does it get any worse than that? Did you at least get, like, a bucket of KFC or something for your... Oh, mate, nothing. The adults were just like, oh, well, oh, that was a nice drive, wasn't oh it? God. That is horrible. Let it scar you for life if you're a kid. Well, that's why I love theme parks now. I'm like, if I get an opportunity to go to a theme park, I'm like, yeah, we're going. And you make sure you have your your full price ticket. Um, yeah. my, my, when my sister was little, she went and stayed with my grandma. She used to go and stay occasionally with my grandma and have like sleepovers. And my grandma lived near the jam factory in Chapel Street. And she, oh, no. oh, I know, one morning she woke up and said to my sister, we're going to go to the jam factory. And my sister goes, the jam factory. And she's like running along next to grandma. And she's like, the jam factory, the jam factory. And I get there and there's like, you know, a, couple the, of shops. a discount shop and a movie theater. And she's like, where's, where's the, the jam? jam? This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.